Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles International, the first of the two-hour Ghost Chronicles radio. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me in the land of the lockdown is the gold standard and ghost hunted, the godfather of paranormal, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Yeah, this lockdown's um, it's not funny anymore. No. Congratulations. You're the first country to approve our vaccine. We, so uh, actually, I'm, I'm using it. Um, not me personally, but yeah, we're rolling it out as we speak. Yes. Um, yeah. So good luck. Let us know how you make that. out. Yeah, if we all grow a second head. I think there's like a week difference between the American and we won't get it for another week. So. Uh, we're due to get our second one, they say, next week. Yeah, really. Um, which is the same so, one that you're you're getting. Who's who's getting the? Uh, I mean, who is getting it? At the we moment, give... uh, the prioritising between now and April, it will be uh, frontline care workers and uh, the Fair the enough. the most vulnerable groups. Um, the rest of the population following is some time after that, I guess. And the young punks last. Yeah, <laughs> it's their pro- it's their fault that we're we're stuck back in going back into lockdown again. Yeah, well, that's a shame. Anyway, I mean, it was little varmints. There's been so many pandemics throughout the world throughout history. It's but we survived them all. I mean, eventually we won't. But anyway. <laughs> It's it's an inconvenient year. It's um, we're very fortunate, I've got to say. You know, uh, um, neither of us have lost our jobs. We don't have a, a an in, you know a, a a business that we can lose. I know those are the people I feel sorry for. You know, there have been a lot of people who's who's had their sort of livelihoods destroyed. But we 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 just had uh, you know a year that will be memorable and one of the things that we've tried to do um throughout is because on television um uh, last year in the a couple of years ago i was watching a documentary about the 1918 pandemic and they were interviewing you know people who were were kids then back in 1918 1919 and listening to their accounts of what they went through and how they fought the uh, spanish flu pandemic mm-hmm. and we realized that actually this is literally a once-in-a-century occurrence. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, what we've tried to do is to um, make the um, the boys aware of the historical nature of it and get them to keep mm. diaries, something mm. that okay. perhaps in 70 or 80 years' time, you know, a documentary crew will come along and say, so what did you do during the great pandemic of 2020? Mm. And so I mean, they'll we, have... We've had... We've had, you know, I mean, we've had other major Oh, there have events. been other. There have you know, been I mean, others. like AIDS. AIDS was a major event. Oh, I mean, was, that, that, that truly was um, yeah. global and um, frighteningly, you know, yes. um, the numbers it was taking. Most people forget about it, though. That's, that's the They have now. And I, I, yeah. think, I, I, think, I also think because it, 
it only affected a particular group of uh, uh, the population. Right. Um, I, you know, sufferers were largely shunned in the early days of, of the AIDS pa- uh, epidemic. Yeah. And, and in fact, pandemic would not be too strong a word to describe that. Yeah. But yeah, um, the swine flu was pretty bad, too, if I recollect. I mean, there's been a lot of them. The duck flu, remember that? Uh, well, I, I remember some of them, but I mean, they they Not were. Not but yeah. no, no. I mean, they, we never ever locked down. We never wore masks. No. I mean, we've got a whole new language now, haven't we? Social distancing and lockdown, no. and it, we, we've developed a whole new way of um, that will be with us probably for decades to come. You know what kills me is is this. I'm sick and tired of this freaking whole new normal. That bullshit. This is past, like everything else passed. So if it doesn't. Then we're dead, and it is put it that way. But the, well, the normal will be the normal. It's not going to be this like this special normal bullshit. It, so it, there is no new new normal. In in exactly. five years' time, it will be um, as it was. We will yeah. be traveling, you know, packing ourselves onto jetliners and yeah. flying around the yeah. world and holidaying and and businesses will have recovered. Economies will have started to pick back up again. And think it will be forgotten. I, re- I remember, I mean, it's nothing to do with the pandemic, but I remember when uh, Lady Di, Princess Diana, uh, was mm-hmm. killed in France. Yeah. And people were saying then that uh, she'll never be she'll never be forgotten. She was a saint. You know, she was uh, she has she has touched all our lives. The world yeah, will yeah, never yeah. be the same place. And a de- less than a decade later, it was like, who? What? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, I remember her now. Didn't she get? You know, we we very quickly move on with our lives. We do, we do. Which is, and we will. It's and we'll good get, in a way. It's and good and we'll way, get yeah. through this. You know, we'll mm-hmm. we'll get through this. You know what amazes me? I mean, this this is horrible, and I I don't try to mean to try to downplay it in any way, but when you think about the global society that we have now. It, it's amazing it isn't worse than it really is because, you know, it, we are everywhere over the world and, you know, it's just we're hip and, and, you know, it could spread so quickly and so fastly and and be so deadly. I mean, you know, if the Black Plague well, was around this time, maybe it had been even worse. But, uh, you know, it's it just amazes me. I mean, it's it's been horrible, but it's it definitely could have been a hell of a lot worse because we are such a mobile society. Well, but there's been a lot of positives that have come out of it too. I mean, look how fast this vaccine, these three vaccines now have. Yeah, been that's a little scary. <laughs> you know, previously it would take well because of the bureaucracy, not True. the, the testing. Um, but you know, there's it, reasons for that. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. primarily it was procedure and bureaucracy. It meant right. that a vaccine would take between five and twenty years to uh, to to reach the population, but it does show you what mankind is capable of doing. Yeah. Um, you know, no, when these the, companies. The, I mean, look, you know, US did when when the freaking Russians launched Sputnik. You know, I mean, they yeah. they had no space program and they virtually beat them to the moon, which yeah. I mean, you know, when we get off, it shows what we're capable of and mm-hmm. what and, you know, I mean, even now, uh, Pfizer, um, who have got the first of the vaccines out. Sorry. Yeah, but there, yeah, is, the, there are several others, too. Just there are. Make, but what, but yeah. what Pfizer have done um, is said that they refuse to make any profits from it mm-hmm. um, and that they will, you know, uh, ensure that all the countries that need the vaccine will get the vaccine and they won't 
you know these these stories about big pharma prophesy um profiteering off, off the back of the and sure amazon have probably you know been rubbing their hands in glee throughout the entire oh, pandemic many you know, jeff bezos it. jeff bezos is you know laughing all the way to the bank but but you know fairness you the ex-president that... the sitting president is the reason for that because he was a businessman he manipulated uh pfizer and other things to to work it and uh he he I give him credit for that as far as being it free and so forth. So, I, 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 I'm, I'm aware of American politics and I'm still not. Because he announced it before it was developed. Yeah. They even, well, even started a development. Well, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that he has lost the election. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's not go there. We could do a whole show on it. <laughs> anyways, let's. Uh, I've been let's, looking at some interesting statistics uh, of late. I know. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, no, that's all right. Let's let's let that thing die. Yeah, uh, anyways, um, I thought you know I, I saw a tweet about something about ghost hunting and ghost hunting mm -hmm. te techniques, and and I know that you're a huge ghost hunting buff. I mean, uh, and and you collect mem memorabilia from you know all the early organizations and so <laughs> forth. Uh, so I would. I figured, you know, that would be a good show to talk about. I mean, because I, I consider you somewhat of an, an expert on uh, early ghost hunting and early ghost hunters. And I thought we'd talk about it. Uh, I'm nearly old enough to remember some of them as well. I know. Then even you tell me when you're old, when you, you talk my age, my friend. <laughs> the uh, So... It, First of all, I mean, you know, we, we talk about the history, and I don't want to go through, mm -hmm. the, like, the entire history, but, no. I mean, we always bring up the first ghost hunter is, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah. um, Athenodorus. Yeah, I can never Well, he's that. the one that we always we always do um, bring up, but in actual fact, he wasn't the first. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't. Uh, you know, he, he, he missed the boat by quite a, quite a shot. There was, the, 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 there are Greek accounts that his was, his was the first written down one. Right. Um, you know, pro properly de documented by by Pliny the Elder. Yeah. Uh, oh, young. Well, one of the Plinies, one of the Pliny sisters. <laughs> one of the Pliny sisters. But but you know that withstanding, there mm. were great, there were ghost stories, you know, being uh, written a thousand years before that, where people were were actively trying to understand what it was that they were was happening to them. You know, I, I'm sure that you know, back in the Stone Age. If uh, if you know the Stone Age man was sitting in his cave and there was a an apparition out the corner of his eye, if he got up or turned his head to go and have a look round the corner to see if there was anybody there, he's ghost hunting. I suppose you're right. You know, so what are the, what we're, are the we're a that, curious species. Yeah, you know, we, I, we we like to find answers. And and one of the the interesting things that that I always enjoyed about the the uh, story of Athemi, whatever the heck his name is. Athemus, Athenodorus. Yeah, Athenodorus, whatever. Is is that he tried to solve the problem? I mean, that, that's what I, I mean. He followed the spirit into the courtyard, and when it disappeared, he mocked the ground with a leaf or whatever, and then got permission from the landlord to dig there the next day. Oh. So he he did some. He was even some, more intrigued than that because he'd heard the stories of the of the house yeah. that was empty. Um, because it was supposedly had a ghost, and yeah. he deliberately rented it, yeah. and he set Sounds himself. Like somebody we know. He, you know, he he, he sat up uh, late at night writing his um, works because he was a scholar and a classicist, 
And um, when the ghost finally appeared, he actually waved it away, um, which is actually the mark of a really good objective investigator. Because you know, like run, dude, run. Uh, instead of run, dude, run, it was um, <laughs> what he was really doing. He wasn't waving the, the, you know, he wasn't telling the spirit to, you know, wait till I finish this sentence. What he was really doing was deprogramming expectation, belief, and fear from his own mind. So he was making himself, you know, more objective and um, better able to to investigate. And when he was ready, he got up and he was beckoned to follow. And he followed. And as you say, he put the spirit pointed. He he marked the spot. The next day, the the bones were were dug up and yep. uh, give, given a um, pre-Christian burial. Yep. And the ghost went away. Yeah, kind of interesting. So, I, I read this little article, and, and this this talks about really ghost hunting for the, who was the first real ghost hunters in the modern age, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, it looks like I'm just gonna read the article and then I'll let you comment on it because I, I'm sure you have something to say about this. So, Elliot O'Donnell, a fictional fictional writer, released the first nonfiction book on the paranormal title. Some Haunted Houses of England and Wales in 1908. Some say Donald was the first ghost hunter, but certainly it isn't true. Many articles on ghost hunting in the 1800s uh, were written. Furthermore, it, uh, some attribute O'Donnell to one of the uh, who coined the word ghost hunter, uh, citing his 1916 book, 20 Years of Experience as a Ghost Hunter, as evidence. However, this too is incorrect. After much research, I have traced the term ghost hunter back to 1809, where it is mentioned in a fictional romance titled Ostrich or Modern Horrors of Richard Sycamore. And uh, some of McDonald's uh, books can be read uh, online, too. You can actually read his book. But anyways, Mm -hmm. uh, just going to almost finish. Um, Addington Bruce released his first book on the paranormal in 1908. Uh, titled The Hysteric Ghost and Ghost Hunters, some believe. Uh, so, anyways, that's those are one of the earliest. So they're talking about 1800s as is really the first modern ghost hunters. Oh, no, you no, agree no, with no, that no. description? <laughs> well, I, no, um, it, it, in the short answer, because historically people um, were using modern, what we would call modern techniques way before that um you, you can wind the clock back another century to uh, 1727 wow uh, when daniel defoe the author of uh, robinson oh, crusoe yeah. Yeah. uh writing under the pen name of andrew morton uh writes uh, a long treatise on um how to um consider what apparitions are and, and oh. um although the text is somewhat you know, flowery language. It is modern ghost hunting. Have you read it? Oh yeah, just got a copy. I've, oh, I've I got, figured you have a copy. I, I got a first edition. <laughs> that was my nice way of asking. Do you have a copy? <laughs> I have a I have a 1727 first edition of that one. Uh, but but even he's not yeah, the first. Sure. <laughs> we 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 can go back yet another half century to a guy called Joseph Cotton, um, who in who was. 
again uh, penned uh, a book which it describes what we would call the modern method for ghost investigating and cautions the readers, as does uh, Defoe, that everything ain't necessarily ghosts and demons and, and the work of the devil, and that often it, it is just um, you know, creaky boards and dra drafts blowing and... Um, so I would say that the first modern ghost hunters you could trace to the beginning of the Renaissance. So uh, as early as the yeah. as early as the 16, 1620s, 1630s, oh, really? yeah. um, there are accounts. If you look at the great explosion in, in interest, um, which which Elliot O'Donnell was part of. Um, there's, you know, th there are similar authors. I have a book called The Haunted Homes of England, which was 1897. Um, and there were many books around that time. Catherine Crow uh, wrote The Night Side of Nature in the middle of the 19th century, which is probably the forerunner of all of the parapsychological research and the study of uh, spontaneous cases on a, on a larger scale. Uh, you know this. She you know, this this predates the Society for Psychical Research and the Ghost Club. Um, you know she was truly a pioneer um, of the modern method, and you know the that's sort of the middle of the nineteenth century. Um, and then you have uh, the work of the society itself uh, before O'Donnell. You know in the in the um, late eighteen hundreds, they're investigating a haunted house in Scotland using methods that are almost identical to what we would do today. You know, they were bringing in um, seismometers. They wanted to bring in sound recorders. Uh, they, they placed witnesses, throughout, uh, investigators throughout the building. They brought groups of investigators into the building, uh, exactly as we do today. Um, so... Uh, it's very difficult to say who was the first uh, because there is no real first. What you have is a development, um, people learning from one another, um, reading what went before. I suppose there was some there were some dips. There were some times where it very it definitely wasn't cool and trendy to investigate ghosts um, in the Middle Ages and the medieval period, the late Tudor period. Um, for example, you were dabbling with, you know, you were putting your life on, literally on the line if you were uh, seen in any way to be interested in ghosts and spirits, unless you're a man of the cloth, because that was called necromancy. You know, you were, you were, if you were accused of anything like that, then the chances are you were tied to a stick and set fire to. Um, you know, John D was probably the most famous exponent of that. Um, and even he got himself, you know, he sailed very close to the wind with, with Queen Elizabeth I. Um, so in that, that sort of era, after, between James I, uh, when he wrote Demonology, um, through to the restoration of Charles II uh, in the middle of the 1600s, it wasn't something you would admit to uh, too readily but after that it was you know men of science the renaissance the enlightenment um, and people wanted to explore all mysteries they started you know you had um, uh, what was his name Hook uh, 
the guy who invented the microscope, the Dutchman. And oh, you yeah. had, uh, was it Le- Len Leeuwenhoek? Anyway, he invented the microscope and mm. started drawing little little bacteriums and um, little little creatures in in puddles in drops of water. And people were looking at the skies and people were studying nature and people were studying all manner of mysteries. Um, and ghosts were in, were in amongst those experiences. The, I mean, I, I was looking especially on, on this thing about some of the highlights of your favorite person, which was Harry Price. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a, According to the article, is that in 1920 Harry Price became a member of the SBR? Is that correct? He did at the age of 39. He did indeed. Yeah, and uh, stay long. In 1922, Harry Price begins his paranormal investigations. Harry Price debunks spirit photographer William Hope. Mm-hmm. In uh, publishes Revelations of a Medium, and he released that year, and became a member of the Magic Circle. Yeah. Um, Revelations of a Spirit Medium was was, uh, the work of Price and Eric Dingwall. Uh, And actually, it wasn't their book at all. Uh, What they'd done is they made a facsimile copy of a book that had been produced in the late 1800s, supposedly by a medium, uh, exposing the tricks of the trade and all of the copies of the original or most of the copies of the original had been bought up by mediums and disposed of because it gave away all of their secrets um, how they how they you know uh, would perform their readings and of course they didn't like that expose mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of like a pen and teller thing you know where they would um, yeah show yeah. you how you do it show how you would do it um and price had a copy in his library had two copies uh, and it was an incredibly rare book but he allowed one one of the two copies to be sacrificed uh, in order to make a facsimile copy um which he 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 edited with eric dingwall and that was um that was i think 1925 mm-hmm. and yes i've got a copy of it of course you do. <laughs> So, in 1925, Harry Price is appointed Foreign Research Officer for the American Society of Psychical Research. Mm -hmm. In 1926, he he becomes the, founded the National Laboratory for Psychical Research. So, he split with the SPR at that time, or or was even both at that time? Uh, No, he'd left the SPR. um, Because... I mean, there was no falling out at that stage. He just felt that he wanted to um, Go control, control things a little more. Um, yeah. He wanted, and he was, you know, he was um, a magician, an engineer, a, a collector of books and, and coins and other things. And um, he had his own ideas. Uh, and he was, he was always uh, pressing throughout his uh, career as a, as a ghost hunter. Um, for academic universities to take the subject seriously. And he made a number of offers to a number of universities in Europe, America, in Great Britain, offering them um, money, his library, and all of his resources 
if they would um, set up a, a chair um, in what he called parapsychology um, oh. in, in order to... But none of them did. Um, so he, he, you know, part of the first day, he kept the pressure on mm-hmm. um, and, and gradually increased the pressure. So, but, but one of his uh, next moves was to establish the National Laboratory for Psychical Research, which later changed to the University of London Society for Psychical... I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was the University of London mm-hmm. uh, Society for Psychical Research or Laboratory for Psychical Research. Or, um, and, and operated that right up until his death. And so uh, in 1927, um, Harry Price began investigating... Jonah Southcott Fox in a blaze mm. of publicity. Mm-hmm. He also joins the Ghost Club and remains there until it temporarily shut down in 1936. And so it's a couple. There's a couple little things that uh, you should uh, comment on there. First of all, the, the Ghost Club did close down in 1936. The, the Ghost Club, uh, which was established before the Society for Psychical Research, is, yeah. its history is a bit like that of a of um, an aged broom that's had four new handles and three new heads uh, you know down the years it they the name has been more or less continuous but it has ceased um waxed and waned uh, one of the, one of the periods was um just prior to harry price or whilst he was an ordinary member which led to price essentially uh taking the thing over and running the ghost club and then after his death, it waned again till Peter Underwood uh, stepped up, and he also ah. uh, took over the operation and running of it. And it was it was very much a private members club. You know, it was an after dinner club where they would all meet and swap tales and smoke cigars and drink brandy. Smoke cigars and drink brandy. That's the one. Yeah, there you go. Is there a better thing? I've always wanted to do that. You know, and I always like that was my thing. It was to buy a restaurant and bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Immense club, but you know, well, whatever. Well, the oh, ladies could always retire to their to their own room. Yeah, that's true too. And but powder powder their that. noses and things. And mm. Anyway, that's all so, the female listeners to the show just get angrier again. Yeah, they probably do. <laughs> I get whatever. Anyways, we do have to take a break. We are coming in part of the break right now, uh, so we will get to that as well so that's been intriguing there's more uh jonah i want to get back when we come back about the break and talk a little bit about the jonah's sub oh uh, the jonah south got box yeah thank you anyway so we, like i said we do have to take a break you're listening to ghost chronicles international with steve parson and ron Kolick right here on tojanet and pararex radio brought to you by circles of wisdom 386 merrimack street in methuen massachusetts and the gallant messier family law group 15 high street in north andover massachusetts and when we come back we're going to talk about the show what was it again Joanna South, Joanna Southcott and the um, her box. Yeah, her box. Let's go to talk about Joanna's box. We'll be right back after <laughs> following messages. <laughs>
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. of Ghost Chronicles International with your hosting New England, New England's own Van Helsing and over here in lockdown in West Wales um, the gold standard in ghost hunting who've got a yeah. promotion, I've been promoted I haven't told you that bit yet no, 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 but you, you have a great voice for radio by the way, you really do, it's it's very good oh, thank go you. ahead, carry on yeah, I'm now the investigations officer for the Society of Psychology. yeah, you told me that yeah, but it, it, it wasn't official until this week. Oh, it's not official. Well, it is now. So you're in lockdown. What good is that? It's not. Believe <laughs> <laughs> me, it's not. Um, before the break, we were talking about Joanna Southcott and her yes. box, a famous yes. box. This was the woman who was called Satan's mistress. Really? Or San- yeah. Or, or whether it was dyslexic and it was Santa's mistress. I'm not quite really sure. <laughs> Uh, this was an 18th century woman called Joanna Southcott. Um, now, you're going to have to forgive me because ordinarily I've, I've grabbed her. Uh, there's a 400 page, quite a rare book about her um, that I have a copy of, but I can't read it because um, the lights are off. I'm sitting in near darkness here. Um, but this, this woman, um, George III was on the throne while she was. Um, um, going about her business, uh, she apparently inadvertently sold her soul to the devil. Inadvertently? How do you do it, that? I, I have no idea. Um, but the... Well, let's see what we can what we can see. She would rather have given it to Jesus, but the devil persuaded her that the voices that she heard in her head were from God, and it was only on her deathbed that she realised that she hadn't been the bride of Christ after all, but the mistress of Satan. Damn, that hurts. She had 14,000... Well, she still has a lot of followers, but at her peak, she had 14,000 followers, and they each signed a proclamation which was marked with a red wax seal, um, proclaiming her to be um, almost a saint and a prophet. Um, Really? I mean, these these bits of paper with her red seal were, were known as passports to heaven. Um, and changed hands for up to a guinea each. 
So what? Um, it's a huge amount of money. Uh, or it was that in, in terms of Georgian England, you know, in the 1790s. Um, she, she truly mysterious, enigmatic woman. She claimed to uh, to have been made pregnant um, with a divinity-conceived child. Oh, that's sweet. Um, and that uh, if she was lying, then the Virgin Mary and Jesus were liars too, was one of her claims. Wow. Uh, she, prof she made a number of prophecies. She prophesied, for example, that the year 2004 would be the start of the final millennium and she would return with her holy son, um, I can't remember, Shiloh his name was, and that together they would, they would govern the world. She left instructions about what must be done when the time comes and she put these all into a mysterious box of prophecies. Um, and she stipulated that this box must only be opened by 24 Church of England bishops. Ooh. Um, now, in reality, there have been a number of boxes that have claimed to be Southcott's box, including the one that Price had. Uh, and he tried to assemble the uh, 24 bishops. I think he ended up with about six. Oh, man, too bad. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when the box was opened, there was... There was very little of worth in it. It was a pistol, two lottery tickets, some coins. <coughs> um, yeah, some fluff um, and some bits of paper. Oh, did that come from your friend, by the way? Uh, which? Oh, what's his name? The divine person who used to send you crap. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, what was his name? Uh, P, P gets with a P? Peel, pop, pop. Padre, no, not Padre Pio. No, uh, what was his name? What the freak was his name? He used American, to save you. American evangelist. He used um, to save you all the time. I know, but I haven't heard from him for a You've got some year. cool gifts from him. I know, I know. I haven't had anything you. can't remember you. his name if either, guy. No, no. See, this is what happens when you move on. Poof, gone. Uh, God. But, yeah. Joanna Southcott, I mean, Price, yes. Price dedicates a chapter or two in his own writing sewer, but she sort of disappears from history. There are still followers. She still has disciples. There is still you know, the Joanna Southcott Society or group or whatever they call themselves, these wackos who think that she is, in fact, going to come back and save, govern the world with Shiloh. Um, Good thinking. But back in the late 1990s, uh, there was a little tiny book company on the south coast of England who produced uh, a book called Satan's Mistress. And it was, they only produced, it was a very small, you know, production run, a bit like one of Cal's books. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God he never listens to this show. <laughs> hey, do you, know how, do you know how much a copy of Telephone Calls from the Dead's worth now? No. Uh, I'd keep hold of yours. Um, he keeps asking for them. <laughs> that's because that's they're worth a lot of money now. Are they really? They are, apparently. I'm good. I'll sell them to them for half price. Yeah. Um, I gave them away. I couldn't get out of time to give them away. Never mind. Shh. Well, um, it, by, by good fortune, I was in uh, a bookstore in Liverpool back in uh, 1997, and there was two of these books on the shelf. And Gals um, books? Thought, no. <laughs> honest, Satan's mistress. Oh, okay. And, yes. and it turns out that, that it's really the, the, the only time, um, you know, this, this she's ever been written about in, in any great sort of um, way. And it includes a facsimile of the red wax seal. 
inside the front cover. I like that. Yeah, there we are. Um, but Harry Price realised that, you know, I mean, what Price, many people have accused Price of a lot of things. Um, and in reality, when you when you do look at Price objectively, and I have, and dispassionately. Um, objectively? Yeah, I mean, he might be, he was a child. He was a childhood hero. He was a childhood hero mm-hmm. of mine. But in later years, uh, I became aware of a number of stories um, that, and accusations that were being made about him. And I looked at the evidence and I reviewed the evidence. And I didn't just read the book that throws mud at Harry Price. Um, I... Because that book was uh, commissioned by the SPR, actually, uh, but it was also refuted uh, some years later by another uh, researcher who went through the first book. And what Price, what comes across very strongly, is that Price, if anything, was uh, you could accuse him of was being ahead of the game and being British, um, because. If you recall when I met you, you had to chase me to get a website and write a bio. And yes, yes. It it wasn't. It isn't something that is comes naturally to the British. Now Price, uh, back in the 1920s and 30s, wanted to promote his cause. He wanted uh, the academics, the universities, uh, to take on board the study of spontaneous cases and parapsychology. And he realised that in order to do that, because he didn't have... You know, they, they, they looked down upon him. He wasn't a member of their club, their clique. And um, he realised that one way to have them sit up and take notice was to court publicity, to appear in the newspapers... And so he he wrote extensively for the newspapers. He he wrote for the magazines. He he did talks um, about his investigation work. Um, and they were always very well received. And he 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 was an extremely popular figure. You know, he was a highly highly you know he was an A-lister celebrity in the 1930s, uh, particularly in Great Britain. Um, now. If you look at what he did and what he said, he doesn't do anything different than our friend Kieran O'Keefe, for example, mm-hmm. uh, appearing on Most Haunted, or me appearing on Ghost Chronicles International, or me appearing on Most That's Haunted. It, it's because uh, nowadays it's much more socially accepted to promote yourself and your cause, Whereas in the 1930s, Britain, it was considered to be, oh, dear, oh, dear, he's let the side down awfully. You don't do that sort of thing. Mm. What sort of thing? He's not a gentleman. And that was his major uh, failing. Uh, There is very little evidence that he threw stones. There is very little evidence that he performed conjuring tricks. And there is a great deal of evidence that indicates that when he when he um, you know he exposed mediums and he supported mediums when he firmly you know when he believed as he did with Stella Stella Cranshaw that he was dealing with um, genuine mediumship then he he was not afraid to stand up 
and fight his corner. Equally, if he caught a medium cheating or he thought that the, the medium was um, playing games, then he would go out of his way to find the proof and then expose them. And he did that with the Schneiders um, and, and others. Um, you said before about the, the crew circle, the photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not afraid, but he wasn't just one to stand up and make accusations. He would, first of all, collect his evidence and then present his evidence and present um, the case against them. And, yeah, I mean, in, 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 in fairness to what you were talking about, in which you, you spoke to was, um, was, where is that thing that he, oh, yeah, here it is, Harry Price testified and gave evidence in the Helen Duncan Mm-hmm. trial. During the trial, Helen was the last person convicted of witchcraft in the uh, 1735 Witchcraft Act. Uh, she was found guilty and served nine months in prison. Mm-hmm. The ruins of Bowley Rectory were demolished the same year. Kind of sad, mm-hmm. huh? The, Price didn't, didn't um, testify against um, Helen Duncan at that trial. It was an earlier trial where she'd been accused of... Uh, she was tried a number of times. Right. Um, the latter trial was the famous trial that, that we, where they used the um, Witchcraft and Vagrancy Act, and she was actually tried for fortune-telling, not witchcraft. But it, it, the act is the Witchcraft and Vagrancy Act, and it covers fortune-telling and taking money under false pretenses. Um, so she was never tried as a witch, uh, but she was accused of taking money under false pretenses. Uh, But Price had been involved in her earlier trial uh, where, as an expert witness, he was called upon uh, because other mediums had also uh, swallowed material and then regurgitated it, claiming it to be ectoplasm, and that was something that Duncan um, had also done. Right. The, uh, the the another interesting thing was that 1936, uh, the BBC. Uh, 1934. 1936, the BBC broadcast uh, the first. Was yeah, it? on March 10, 1936, Harry Price broadcast live on BBC Radio from a reportedly uh-huh. haunted manor near Minno Kent, Minnoham yeah. Kemp. Metham. Uh, the program was the first broadcast ever made right. from a haunted house. That's right. So I, 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 he was uh, cutting edge, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely cutting edge. I thought it was 34 um, from my... Well, my 36. I'm, you my, know, my, I, I'm not going to argue with you one way to... Uh, you, you I, think you're pro- I think you're probably right. I think it's just a case of it's late, late here and I've got some 1934 stuck in my head for some reason. But uh, yes, indeed, um, from... Um, Mepham Manor, the haunted manor house at Mepham in Kent. He, uh, the BBC, did a series. So he was um, one, the first, most the time. world's first ever live broadcast ghost hunt was conducted by Harry Price and a man called C. D. Broad. Um, and the two of them spent the night tucked up in the double bed. <laughs> did they really? It was cold. Yeah. Um, fully clothed, wearing a hat. Yeah, why not? Uh, and there's a famous photograph of the... Um, it was a staged photograph for the BBC magazine um, of the two of them. Um, Is that broadcast available anywhere? Uh, sadly not. Oh, sadly not. 
There are very, very, very few uh, recordings of Price. There is one Pathé newsreel, um, um, which lasts about 10 minutes. And other than that, I think there's one audio recording of of about two minutes long. According to this, in 1935, he also produces a talking film called Psychical Research from Millstone News Theatres. Mm-hmm. Is that but Again, no, lost. Lost, unfortunately. Oh, God! Oh, I know, God! I know, I know, I know. There's, believe me, we, you know, we've, we've looked uh, at the indices of the archives of the Harry Price Library, the SPR Library... There is no, nothing survived. None of the early recordings, uh, all of his writings have, have fortunately survived, or most right. of the writings. Uh, he wrote a book of Christmas ghost stories, uh, which oh, includes, really? which inc- I mean, it's a very thin book. It was part of a larger series of like uh, Cal's book. Uh, no, it's much, much, much thinner and smaller than Cal's book. Oh, um, and that that kind. actually that includes a, 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 an account based on Borley. Mm-hmm. And I think that was 1936. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, 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 he got crazy. One of the, one of the uh, again, playing with the media, uh, and he was. Uh, he, he, he spent a he great deal of time. He embraced them. Yeah. Uh, because he needed, the, he needed them. And one of the things that he did do is in Brocken, Germany, he... he I was just going to ask you, in 1932, Harry Press conducts mm-hmm. the Brocken experiment in mm-hmm. the hot, hot Mountain. What was that? I, I've never heard of it. Well, he, it, there was a local legend about, um, uh, I can't remember the exact legend, but it, essentially, if you underwent this, if, if you perform this, this ritual uh, on a goat, it turned into a handsome young man. Well, the goat would, you know, transform into a handsome young man. Now, prior to you, of course, this was complete bunkum. Mm-hmm. But it was a way of getting people uh, so he made love people's to a attention. No, he didn't. Oh, okay. Uh, but he, 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 he follows the ritual to the letter. He goes up onto this uh, mountain in, in southern Germany, in the Hartzell Mountains, and he takes a white goat up there and a, a lot of newspaper reporters up there. <laughs> uh, and I he does it. the ritual, and... Knowing full well that this goat is at the end of the you know at the end of the ritual is going to be a goat, <laughs> and he says so before he even starts it. But of course the media you know his critics have turned it round and say, oh he was you know what an idiot, who in their right mind would would even conceive of doing that? Well, it got him a huge amount of publicity at the time, yep. which is what he needed mm-hmm. and what he wanted. Uh, he, he, he he was not. You know, he, he was not a vain man, but he was a, he was also essentially an honest man because he says in his own biography, uh, that, that his autobiography that he wrote, that one of the things he, he wanted two things when he was growing up. He wanted to he, he wanted a column in Who's Who, and he wanted a Rolls Royce. <laughs> they were his ambitions when he was a young man. Wow, uh, I'm. He, he achieved both, um, but I think essentially he was not, he he was honest. He he at times knew how to embellish, a, you know, tell a good story, but not in a dishonest way. There are ways you can embellish and tell a story without being dishonest or or um, untruthful. But I, I you know he he was just ahead of the game. 
1936, Harry Price published two books, Confessions of a Ghost Hunter and The Haunting of Cash and Gap. Uh, on March 10, 1936, Harry Price broadcast live on the BBC from the Haunted Manor in Van Kemp. We talked about that. And uh, this is the one I'm not sure about. I thought you could definitely comment on. Um, in 1936, Harry Price Library was transferred to the University of London, followed mm -hmm. shortly by his laboratory investigative mm -hmm. equipment. So all of his equipment and, and, and his entire libraries in, in the University of London? Uh, it isn't. The library is. The laboratory isn't. Uh -huh. um, he set up the University of, of London um, Society uh, Laboratories, and it was run... It, it was essentially the continuation of his own national laboratory for psychical research and he was still the the nominal director of the of this this psychical research group uh but the library is still very much there um it's not in the same place anymore it's it's uh it, you know it's still within the the the, the campus but unfortunately, the uh, laboratory, the contents, the ghost hunting kit, uh, oh. the, the stereo camera, the all of the great gadgets and tools that, that he writes about or mentions, the, the uh, telepathic cards and the telekinetoscope and the, the seance tables and the devices for wiring all the mediums and all the sitters in seances to a a bell board that would light up if any of them, you know, uh, let go of one another's hands or the medium tried to release themselves from lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, all of that stuff is lost, unfortunately. We do have plans for a lot of it, though, because uh, in some of his books he does include plans, and in some of the library uh, there are other documents that, that give us plans so we can we can we, we did uh, consider recreating them for a spirit quest a number of years ago that's the true. telekineticus the telekinetoscope yeah and there was the shadow apparatus which was designed to see ectoplasm which is a good thing <laughs> so speaking about seeing things in 1937 harry price rented the infamous Bowley rectory for one year to conduct investigations Mm -hmm. This was also the year that Harry Price says he saw the spirit of a child named Rosalie during the seance in a house in London. So did he actually saw a ghost? Um, Price himself never backtracked on what he said, uh, but he, he did seriously question uh, his experience. Um, but, he, but isn't wait a minute, before we go isn't that one of the problems that we have is and and you do that why why you have your team for instance write everything down at the time because when we get away from a, an incident uh, a, an incident or an experience our mind starts working and it starts uh, basically doing par paradelial where it starts trying to make sense of everything that we had and and actually changes some of the experience that we had. Oh, absolutely. Plus, he got a great deal of criticism for it. You know, people said that he was he was completely deluded and he'd been yeah. beguiled and fooled by by nothing more than you know a child wearing a nightdress running around the room. Yeah. Um, what what is apparent, and this comes from um, one of his colleagues at the time, uh, Kate Goldney, 
who was working at the uh, laboratory with him, said that when Price came in the next morning, he was shocked to the core by what had happened. Uh, the you know at the this this ordinary house um, the night before huh. he what he did did seem to regret is publishing it the way he did in including it in one of his books and he seems to have regretted the backlash that that that, that caused for him uh, but my understanding is that he stood by the account that he gave and it was certainly apparent from other witnesses the effect that it had upon him now with Borley um, the same year following year uh, where he where he takes the one-year rental of the property that was I think that was in fact the 10th anniversary of his involvement uh, his first involvement was well almost his 10th anniversary it was 1928 um, when he was first called to the rectory and he drove out in the middle of the night and uh, examined the rectory. And um, after making a... Uh, um, he, he held a seance while he was there. And then he said... He, he, he pretty much said that it was actually the wife of the vicar was probably doing, causing much of the, the, the activity. Really? And he got, he got sort of thrown out on his ear. Uh, but he managed to keep a watching, listening watch on it, uh, communicating with um, uh, by letter. And then when a new rector took over um, later on, um, Price was able to get to to make a return to to Borley. And then, of course, Borley, it was a very old Victorian building built during the, the time of the American Civil War. It had no modern services. There was no running water. Uh, there was no electricity. You know, everything was done manually. Water was drawn from a pump in the in the yard, in the courtyard. And the church just wanted rid of it. And it, first of all, they, they actually tried to sell it to Price. And it was already by this time a, a, a quite a, a well-known visitor attraction you know, people would come up in in coach parties from London imagine to, vi that, to visit that. the haunted oh. house in this tiny little Essex hamlet, sixty miles north of London. And in fact, just ten years ago, I met somebody who uh, they were then a, a, an old lady, but remembers in the nineteen thirties going with her family on just one of these bus trips to the most haunted house in England. Uh, to see for themselves if they could see the ghost. The place was, you know, a, a, a huge tourist attraction. And uh, into this... and You know, Price said that he could probably have made his money several times over uh, selling ghost tours around around the property. But that's not what he wanted to do. And eventually he realised that he wasn't in a position to uh, buy, the, buy the property or do anything with it. And so he rented it for a year in the famous investigation. And what became um, the the very first set of notes of guidance for investigators and set down um, on paper the path that we all still follow in the 20, 21st century um, was written for the investigators of Borley. Um, it had the blue cardboard cover and became known as yep. the Blue Book. I know, that's excellent. Uh, can you believe we, we are done? Done. Yeah, that was yep. the doorbell, which means we have got to wrap it up. But, uh, you know, we never even got to some of the techniques. We talked a little bit in the beginning about the thing. But, I mean, Harry Price, there was so much fascinating stuff about him. Uh, 
and and uh, so I think we did it justice with that. And we will have to do a show and talk about some. I, some I, think, things, I, I think I think we should do a trailer for it now and say, join us next week where we'll talk about some of the early ghost hunting techniques and methods. Okay, you can do that. Okay. <laughs> part, so, two, part two. Part two. Part two. Part two follows part next dur. week. Yeah. Tune Rambo in next dur. week. <laughs> or press play now if you've downloaded both the podcasts together. There you go. <laughs> or if you're a psychic and you can see into the yeah. future. Or a time traveler. Yeah. If you're a time traveler, come back to yesterday and tell us okay. how tomorrow goes. That would be a good idea. I That'd think. be the coolest thing, wouldn't it, to be a time traveler? I would. Just 2020. Now, we'll have that one fast forward. <laughs> No, yeah, I don't like that. Let's move on. Just just fast forward through 2020. That's the other interesting, too. We ever get into time travel. We have to do a show on time travel at some time. What if but, we have Anne back on? And talk about time slips. And here I am. Anne Winsborough. Yeah. Dr. Anne Winsborough now. Doctor, Dr. Anne Winsborough. No, no, just doctor. Oh, doctor, no, it's Cal is doctor, doctor. Cal is doctor, doctor, which sounds like some sort of, oh, doctor, doctor. Doctor, um, doctor. That's a good song. Yeah. Oh, there's a tune, so we got to go. All oh, right, we want to thank everybody for listening, and, uh, you know, stay safe and uh, drink Come back milk. Part and two. Wear your mask. Ghost hunting next week. Yep. Keep your stick in the ice. <laughs> Good night, and God bless. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.